As I said in episode 900, my update about dropping this podcast back to one a week for a while for health reasons, I'm going to be sharing brand new episodes only on Mondays for a while. I'm going to use my usual Wednesday and Friday slots to reshare some excellent older episodes. What follows is one of those interviews. I believe we have a wonderful country, and I believe that democracy is not a spectator sport. And if it becomes a spectator sport, it's not going to exist any longer. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. I spoke recently with David Nevins, president of the Bridge Alliance, an alliance of many organizations who are working in transpartisan fashion to improve our democracy. With so many democracy-defending groups out there, David saw the need for a hub to help them collaborate, network, and form strategic partnerships. Bridge Alliance has now grown into a network of more than 100 organizations, all working to revitalize our democracy. So, after a quick word from our sponsor, a good conversation with David Nevins, president of the Bridge Alliance. This episode is brought to you by Graphicacy. Graphicacy is an analytic design firm that can help you advance the mission of your organization using your own real data and information. They are 21st century visual communicators who create interactive graphics, motion graphics, and data visualizations. You can find Graphicacy at graphicacy.com. That is G-R-A-P-H-I-C-A-C-Y.com. With Graphicacy's help, you can visualize a better world. Would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? My name is David Nevins. I'm a businessman from Pennsylvania, never did anything in politics in his life until about 10 years ago, and then at that time got involved in with a bipartisan organization in Washington, D.C., and that's totally changed my life in that my major focus in life now is being the president and co-founder of the Bridge Alliance, which is an alliance of roughly 100 organizations trying to reform and revitalize our democracy to create the healthy democracy that I think most Americans really desire. David, what's wrong with our democracy right now? Well, (laughs) that's our answer. I mean, there's a multitude of problems, but simply stated, there's a lack of civility. There's a lack of critical thinking. The system is controlled by The power of money in the system, let me put it that way, is excessive. We have a cultural divide pitting Americans against Americans rather than approaching politics from the perspective that there's something to be gained from taking thoughts and input from those on the left, those on the right, those are independents. So there's there's a lot. Our democracy has not adapted to the technology of the 21st century. So there's a multitude of problems that are dividing our country and essentially making 
our democracy very fragile right now, and it's a dangerous time in our democracy. And I've been saying this, uh, it's not focused on any particular administration. I've been saying this since 2010. So it's uh, maybe gotten worse in recent years. It's been a track our country's been going on and that the situation needs to be resolved. What do you think the remedy is? Well, that gets into what the Bridge Alliance is a bit. The Bridge Alliance is an alliance of 97 organizations, might be 98 today, who are working in all different areas of social and political reform. So to answer your question, there is no silver bullet. There is no one answer. When I speak in public and I give this broad scope of solutions, they say, well, you'll never solve the problem unless you fix money in politics or unless you have term limits or unless you have this or that. And our answer is it's no one thing. It's a combination of revitalizing and reforming our electoral systems, our campaign processes, uh, governance and policymaking processes, and certainly civic engagement, how we dialogue with each other as citizens. So there's a multitude of solutions needed, and they need all to be done simultaneously and connected for us to really create the healthy self-governance that, that I believe we can create if enough Americans believe that this change needs to happen. It does sound like it would be a positive bunch of steps forward. I want to go back to your biography a little bit, just to understand this and then talk about sort of the founding story for Bridge Alliance. You were in real estate, is that right? Yeah, I my home base is State College, Pennsylvania, where Penn State University is. And I've been a real estate person there for quite a few years. Uh, I have apartment buildings. Uh, I've done some land development over the years. That's my business background. I, I got an MBA in finance from the Wharton School, but got distracted and really became an entrepreneur and had many levels of entrepreneurship before I got involved in the real estate business. I uh, was in retailing, had retail stores for many years, and then I owned uh, a restaurant, a nightclub for several years, and before I changed my path to the uh, final path of real estate. So from the perspective of that career and a substantial career in that space, what was your attitude towards, I don't know, state and federal government? when you were uh, an entrepreneur and a developer and a real estate person? Actually, that's a great question. I was never involved, you know, actively, but I was always fascinated with the political process. I was an avid reader, watched all the major news shows and, you know, read the major publications and was very interested in the process. But before I was involved at all, I, I sort of stood back from it and like was amazed the lack of critical thinking used uh, even in the earlier days where there was a degree of reaching across the aisle and finding a common ground. But I always thought the system was rather dysfunctional uh, as compared to what I was used to in the business world of uh, finding win-win solutions. Uh, I, I generally believe that politics was I win, you lose approach. So I've always had this attitude. It was just reinforced in recent years when I became more and more actively involved. Were you a political donor? Never. I mean, I might have given a hundred bucks at some point in time, but other than a hundred dollars here or there, maybe. 
but virtually nothing. Were you a partisan of one party or the other? No, I was never partisan either. (laughs) Yeah, I thought there was good things I heard from all types of people, and I chose to accept what I thought was rational, you know, to my type of thinking. No, I, I really wasn't. I never was a registered Democrat or Republican. What's the founding story for you of Bridge Alliance? How did you go from that background of a little bit of distance from politics compared to where you are now to suddenly working on it? It was just a happenstance, really. I was watching TV one day, and an organization called No Labels was having their opening ceremony. And I watched it on TV. No Labels is a bipartisan organization in Washington, D.C., trying to get Congress to work together more effectively. And it just appealed to my sensibilities. And you just asked about donations. So I I, uh, sent them $100 and started following what they were doing and became more and more interested in the thought process behind what they were trying to do started doing some research on my own, started doing some writing in the Huffington Post, and I was lucky enough to get some articles published on ways of improving a a democratic process, and then really got very, very actively involved in no labels. And through my work with them, and this is where things really changed, I discovered that there's a whole field out there of organizations working to revitalize and reform our social, cultural, and political processes that few Americans know even exists. I didn't know they existed. With uh, collective budgets over $500 million a year, all doing great work in all different areas. And I started to get a little involved with a few more of them and then came across a Stanford study done, I think, in 2011 on collective impact which pretty much sums up the essence of the Bridge Alliance in three sentences, which is no matter how well funded and how well managed any of these organizations are, you're never going to have significant social and political reform unless you can create collective impact, unless you can create a backbone entity and infrastructure to tie it all together. And from that thought, in meetings with some other people with similar sensibilities and mindsets. That's from which the Bridge Alliance grew and was developed. I think you labeled yourself a co-founder. Who else is a founder? Mark Gerzon, John Steiner were uh, co-founders. Our current executive director, Debbie Lynn Molyneux, was uh, one of the co-founders. And we had an initial, in addition to them, a few others that were on an initial executive committee before we finally formalized things and uh, created the Bridge Alliance. But John Steiner and Mark Gerzon were definitely at the forefront of the thinking on this type of entity for collective impact. Who are they? What do they bring to the table? They were actively involved in this bipartisan work for years. They each have their own bio. Mark Gerzon has a lot of experience as a, I'm hesitant to talk about it because I don't want to mischaracterize his background, but as a facilitator of bringing people together with differing views. 
And, and John Steiner is just an incredible networker who had tremendous knowledge of all the organizations and all the people in the field. So he brought that to the table. So they're both extremely smart and had different levels of expertise to bring to the table. Is it a nonprofit? What's the corporate structure? The Bridge Alliance is a 501c4, but we also have a division, which is a 501c3, which is the Bridge Alliance Education Fund. And they basically work together. I mean, it's essentially divided in terms of what you're allowed to do in terms of as a C4 and as a C3. Right. Different tax categories. Yes. 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 What's the budget? How big of an organization is this? Well, I can't get into specific numbers, but I mean, it, it's varied from year to year. Um, but I mean, that's something you file publicly, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, but right now we're in that half million dollar a year range. But one year we had a much bigger budget where we gave out collective impact grants to our members to try to create this common shared relationships for our members amongst themselves. So we provided collective impact grants in 2017 of roughly a half million dollars in and of itself to try to encourage our members to work together. And we gave out grants in all different areas of of what we've been talking about for organizations, but at least three of them, three of our members had to work together. And that's because we felt that, again, if they work together rather than separately, the impact is going to be so much greater. And that was amazingly successful because not only have some projects become ongoing existing entities that still exist to this day, but it really cemented the relationships between a lot of our members by providing the the funding so that they they could allocate the staff time that they otherwise couldn't allocate to working in a collaborative manner. So generally speaking, roughly uh, a half million dollars a year, but we're hoping to double that in 2020. What do you provide to your member organizations? Why is it in their interest to be part of your alliance? Well, those collective impact grants were significant. That was really a big thing. And we hope to reinstitute that again uh, in 2020. We provide a a lot of backbone support, uh, meaning we have these peer-to-peer learning sessions, learning sessions where we bring experts in, where we have webinars, whether it's on fundraising, whether it's on marketing, on a variety of subjects. So to try to enhance their capacity, uh, we have these learning sessions, peer-to-peer sessions. That's very valuable. One of the things that is most important to them and most important to the field as a whole is media attention. You know, everything I'm talking about, this field that I'm talking about, these 100 organizations within the Bridge Alliance, most Americans don't even know this exists. And that's something that's really lacking. We need media attention so Americans know there is an alternative to the dysfunction and hyperpartisanship that exists today. And it's not a fantasy. It's not something that's just in someone's head. These are 100 organizations with budgets 
from 250,000 a year to 5 million a year with staff, with young social entrepreneurs doing real work. So this media attention is critical, and we are one of the major funders in a brand new digital publication, a new source for the work uh, within the field. It's called The Fulcrum, and that was just launched uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's got a staff of four or five journalists. The editor and managing editor used to be from a, uh, a major DC publication. Uh, so there's a lot of experience there. So we're hoping this really gets the word out about this movement. We feel it's a democracy movement uh, that exists. And the more and more Americans that know about it, uh, the, the greater the chances are uh, of success. By the way, the publication is called The Fulcrum. I mean, the website's thefulcrum.us. I'll have to check that out. I'm curious because my own leaning is generally that one party, the Democratic Party, is far more aligned with a lot of the reforms that your member organizations champion than the other. And that in our system, we probably would get closer to a lot of these reforms by having democratic government or governance. But I've also talked on my podcast to a bunch of nonpartisan organizations, some of whom are members of your group, Ballot Ready, for example, or uh, Living Room Conversations or Stand Up Republic, I guess. And I wonder you know, how you feel about that interplay between partisanship and reform right now? Well, it's, it's a particularly interesting interplay at this point in time because of the present divisiveness. I normally don't go in this direction, but... The current president. The current president, yes. I try to keep him out of it, but it's unavoidable. I mean, he's an extreme. I think he's a... A, a symptom of a process that's existed for a long time. I wrote an article uh, back in 2012 called The Political Circus, where I was defining all this aberrant behavior. It was right before uh, the election in 2012, I guess, and of the aberrant behavior that you're going to experience in the upcoming election. And if I wrote that article today, people would think that that aberrant behavior was our current president. I think he has exaggerated <laughs> tremendously the aberrant behavior. So your question is very relevant. Right now, a lot of people are more focused on the short term, their perception of what needs to be done in the short term. But I think, and I think that's important, but ultimately for our democracy to survive and be healthy and to compete in the world, there has to be major shifts and how it operates. So I, I don't rule out the concept that in the short term, there are certain political decisions that have to be made on based on your political leanings. But overall, I think for us to really survive as a, a, a democracy, we have to have some fundamental changes. So I think there's an interplay there that's uh, important. I don't know if that totally answers your question or clarifies. I think it starts to. Let's say there's an organization that's not currently part of your alliance, 
but seems like it might be a fit. What is the process for joining your group? Do you accept all comers? What kind of boxes does someone have to check? And what does it take to become part of this? And then when you're part of it, what happens? Yeah. Well, in the early days, it was a pretty simple process because if if you don't have an alliance, it's tough to form an alliance. So, so you're mo- it was probably more you searching them out than them searching you out. Exactly, you hit the nail on the head. And now it's the opposite. You know, a while back when we were at forty uh, members, we started creating criteria that we needed to be met. Now there's a size requirement because we want organizations that really have a staff and a budget. What is that size requirement? It's an annual budget of 250000 a year. And they have to adhere to certain basic principles. I, I don't have the membership agreement in front of me, but principles of country before party, of reaching across the aisle, working together, things like that. And then responsibilities as a member that they'll fulfill certain basic responsibilities in terms of there's one person in their organization who's the go-to person if we need to communicate a collective action, who do we call, and their willingness to participate in the calls uh, on various subjects at various times, and to attend our annual summit, which we had last year in Washington, D.C. in October, and we'll have another one this coming year in uh, in the Washington, D.C. area in October as well. Are there like dues or other duties of that you haven't mentioned of members of your alliance? Yeah, there are no dues at this juncture. I wouldn't rule that out in the future. Our focus was more on providing services to the members so that it became abundantly clear how valuable the Bridge Alliance was. And maybe at that point, institute a due structure, which could happen much sooner than later. Do you ever have conflict between or among your members where one is pushing for a type of, say, electoral reform, which is different than another one is? And how do you handle that? Well, they're all independent organizations. I wouldn't call there any conflict. I mean, if one organization in some now we're getting to the weeds a little, but if you believe it's important that independents have a, the structures need to be changed so independents have a chance of getting elected, you know, there's basic strategies. Whether you believe in open primaries or do you believe in ranked choice voting? And some of our members who are in that particular area of independent voting might have a propensity toward one uh, structural change versus another. But I think the biggest that I wouldn't call a conflict at all and I'm not even sure I'd call it a tension, it's just a reality, is that certain organizations are much more focused on civic engagement, uh, that approach of citizens uh, engaging with each other better, or citizens engaging with members, elected officials better, or they're more focused on bridging the divide, or they're more focused on the, the cultural divide in our country, that approach. You mentioned living room conversations earlier. You know, those type of organizations versus those type of organizations that are more politically oriented rather than socially and culturally that are very specifically in support of certain reforms and gerrymandering 
or how independents are treated in the electoral process or campaign and financing reform or corruption in government's reform. So those organizations who are more focused on policy and governance and specific laws are tend to think that their work maybe is more important than the work of those trying to bridge the divide and bring about a cultural uh, reconciliation in our country. But I think that's where the Bridge Alliance serves a huge purpose. And we've actually made incredible strides in that area that more and more of our members are realizing that it's the combination of those two things that will ultimately bring about the change we want. That maybe you first have to change the culture and then the institutions and then the political process. When you look across, you're talking about 97 or 98 organizations. When you look at the needs for reform, do you feel like there are some obvious gaps where there should be new organizations formed to tackle them that aren't existing already? No, I think it's maybe the opposite. I think too many organizations. Most things are being addressed. I think to scale, it should, there needs to be perhaps some more mergers. And at the very least, what the Bridge Alliance is trying to create, which is a common agenda, mutually reinforcing activities, better continuous communication streams, if I haven't said it already, more of a common agenda. you ever facilitate mergers? Uh, no, we never have facilitated a merger. No, we haven't. But we have facilitated a lot of situations where organizations are working together more on projects. They've maintained their independence uh, in separate organizations, but we've created a lot of shared activities. When you think about the impact and the success of your member organizations, could you highlight one or two that you think have really gone somewhere since you've started this? Well, actually, last week, it was in the news quite a bit in, in the traditional news media. And that was ranked choice voting, which basically an in, a voting for an independent traditionally is a wasted vote because they're only going to get three or five percent of the total vote. But ranked choice voting basically ranks the percentages each person gets. And if someone doesn't get 50 percent of the vote, they can't get elected. So now the independent who's running has a lot more, it's, it's a lot more meaningful. And what it's found statistically is that it tends to bring those people who are running on the extremes closer to the middle. But anyway, without getting into, the, again, the weeds on ranked choice voting, uh, and it's had success in Maine, it's now on the ballot in New York City. And that would be a major metropolitan area uh, that would be establishing one of, if it's passed, one of the reforms that was started by one of our members and in the field in general. There have been major reforms on the state level in terms of anti-corruption laws uh, instituted by several of our members. I say the state because that was a recognition that you're more likely to pass this first on the state level and then on the national level. So there have been major progress there. And there's been major progress in bringing 
young elected officials together, Democrats and Republicans together through the Millennial Action Project. There's a caucus of millennial state representatives now who realize that the current uh, process isn't very functional. So hopefully by getting younger elected officials to recognize that something has to change, they will be eventually members of Congress. So those are three that came to my head. There's a lot more. Uh, yeah, one of our collective impact projects with uh, living room conversations in all sides as a result of that was all sides in schools. And now they're in, gosh, many, many school districts across the country teaching, I think it's probably uh, eight through 12, uh, students that there are both sides to the issues. They try to uh, discuss politics in this uh, critical thinking manner so that as they grow up, they'll hopefully be a little more educated about the decision-making process as citizens. So those are three or four, but probably should stop there. You mentioned that there's something like $500 million yearly going into this arena. Like how much of that is represented by people in your alliance and how much are outside of the alliance? Yeah. And that's a a rough number because you then have to ask yourself, well, what is the field? And that's a whole definitional swamp. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Yeah, but roughly about 140 million for the Bridge Alliance members. And so, are you working to pull that remaining, probably a lot of important groups in? Well, part of the holdup is that we we don't want to get too big, and so that we're dysfunctional. We have a very limited budget. We have a limited staff, so that to really provide the backbone support capacity building support for our members, uh, we have to grow ourselves. So uh, we are purposely restricting our growth because of that. Secondly, related to a question you asked earlier, we really want to focus, while all our members are nonpartisan or bipartisan, if people looked at some of their programs, just like you said, they might think they sound a little more left of center. So we're really having a focus of diversifying our membership to organizations that are more representative of right of center leaning organizations of the faith-based community. And uh, so we're trying to diversify our membership uh, in many areas, uh, racially as well. So we're slowing down. We've had growth far in excess of anything we could have imagined so there's no necessity to, to grow fast at this point. It's more about doing what we do better. How are you funded? We uh, have some foundation funding. Well, initially, I was a huge percentage of the funding. Uh, as each year has gone on, that has lessened. I hope it lessens significantly in the coming years so that I'll be a minority of uh, part of the funding rather than the majority part. I mean, we have some grassroots supporters, $25 a month, $50 a month. And then we have some funders in the 10000 a year range. And then we've had some foundation funding over the years as well. What would you say, David, is your biggest challenge right now? The biggest challenge is actually what we're doing is very complicated. Our biggest challenge is the issue at hand, which is 
is money because if we, our budget was triple what it is today, we've had such amazing results with amazing recognition on a relatively limited budget. There's no doubt in my mind that if we had three times as much money, we'd be that much more relevant and, and powerful to our members. It's very simple for an, one organization to raise money for a particular cause. But getting people to realize that we need to invest in the collective is a much more complicated process. But the tide is shifting dramatically in the field as a whole. I've never seen anything occur so fast within the last year is a recognition that resources have to be allocated to the collective. So there are things being done now that weren't even thought of two years ago, like the media entity that I spoke to, which is helping the field as a whole, or um, you know, database management for the system as a whole. People are starting to invest in it. Foundations are talking about this and having uh, retreats on that very subject of, you know, should we allocate 10% of our resources? I'm talking about those foundations that are already investing in the democracy movement. And traditionally, they invested in individual organizations. There have been quite a few meetings of late talking about allocating a small percentage of their resources for the collective. And does that mean for you? Well, it, it very well could. Yeah. It, it definitely, as one of those in that area. But we're not the only one that's trying to uh, work for the collective. And I'm more concerned about the ultimate success of democracy reform than the Bridge Alliance, so that if it meant us working with other groups, well, I'll give an example. There's a group called the National Association of nonpartisan reformers. They are a collective of organizations working in the specific area of electoral systems and campaigns, mostly independent voting. And some of those organizations in NANR are members of the Bridge Alliance. We're very close with NANR. Uh, the Bridge Alliance is on the board of NANR. So we totally believe in collaboration and collective impact. And if three or four more organizations wish to proceed in helping to fund the collective, we are more than glad to uh, be one of many as opposed to being the one. We don't really believe in the one concept. Well, it does seem like, at least to my naive eye, that the same donors may have interest in NANR and you and organizations that make up their group and organizations that make up your group. I mean, I know that all of those organizations are looking for donors, and I'm sure that the groups that are kind of collectives are. Is there a way to sort of rationalize that process and help donors be most efficient and be knowledgeable about all these groups? Yes. I mean, there are several foundations that are the major donors in the field. All the organizations in the field know who these foundations are. And all the organizations are applying for grants from these same funders. But there's a change happening there as well. At our summit last year, we invited 16 of the foundations to our summit. And we made it clear it's a non-pitch zone, but we really feel that 
the process of funding, uh, it would be healthier if that were changed a bit in that it's the normal grant-grantee relationship and process, and we believe it should be more interactive, a little bit more of the new power thinking. So um, I think having uh, grantors, the foundations, at a summit, dialoguing, interacting, learning from those organizations who might eventually seek funding is a different and healthier approach. And I think that's starting to happen a lot more often. Several of the foundations are already having convenings of organizations to learn more by collaborating with the organizations first, as opposed to the old power structure of grant and grantees. Are there other collectives in this general pro-democracy area besides the yourself and NANR? Well, there's other organizations doing work in this, yeah, collective work. They're all different in, in some format. Unite America is now uh, refocusing more on being a provider to the movement as a whole. Issue one is taking more and more of a role in this area. Represent Us has something called the Unrigged Summit, which is a big summit that brings all the members together. David, you've been doing this a while now. What's keeping you in it? <laughs> in, insanity? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm not getting any younger. I believe we have a wonderful country, and I believe that democracy is not a spectator sport. And if it becomes a spectator sport, it's not going to exist any longer. I love working with the young people. I think I see my role as changing dramatically in the coming years. I'd much rather be more on the sidelines and less actively involved. And, and I'm not naive enough to believe that the change I've talked about will occur overnight. So I think you need to establish a, an entity like the Bridge Alliance that can be funded for perpetuity and keep this process going well after I'm gone. So what keeps me going? I guess my, my nature as an entrepreneur, my nature to not accept things as they are, and um, just my sheer enjoyment. I love being engaged with these incredible social entrepreneurs who, who really want to make our country better. Well, it's been an honor to talk to you about it today. Is there a question I should have asked that I failed to? Your questions were amazing. You're a very thoughtful person. And uh, no, not at all. I, I appreciate your time, your thoughtful questions. And I, I, I love the engagement. Thank you. That was David Nevins. He is at bridgealliance.us. If you're a leader of a pro-democracy group in the United States, you may want to join the Bridge Alliance. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at resistancedashboard.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.